Let's go ahead this morning and turn in our Bibles uh, to the book of Second uh, Timothy. Second Timothy. Uh, last week when we were talking about uh, the things that are in Scripture here, we were talking a lot about uh, this uh, conflict, this war within. And uh, again, as I continue to state, you know, no war is going to be expected to be won unless that war within is is victorious. We talked a lot about defeat, what happens when we do sin, what happens when we uh, experience a fall in our life, what, what is it we do, what is the, 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 the reaction. We talked about the corrective process from a biblical nature. <clears throat> but one thing that we have to understand is this, is that in this life, we know there will be hindrances to our spiritual growth. The devil, the world, ourself will throw out a ton of different things that are going to hinder us in our Christian walk. Things that are going to prevent us from growing. Things that are going to... Now, look, I'm not necessarily talking about things that are sinful, but things that can slow down. Things that can, if you will, uh, divert our attention elsewhere in this life. Elsewhere in the battle. Uh, again, when we look at this, we're, you know, we, we, we kind of take a, a bit of a military approach to it in the form of some of the military doctrines we can see that are there because this is a war, as Paul called it. It is a battle, as Christ has mentioned over and over. As the Lord has, con- has continued to show us, there is going to be a conflict and how we uh, deal with that conflict that's in this life is going to determine whether or not we're going to be victorious Christians or whether we're going to be Christians that are going to become casualties on the battlefield. So we, we, we have to take a look at just these hindrances to kind of see exactly what the Lord is teaching us in this regards. Uh, th- there are a few things that we're going to do. Uh, when we take a look at this, we're going to take a look at, at, at some common obstacles, <clears throat> some things that, that, that cause us to fall or, or cause us to stumble, cause us to be delayed or something that's going to impede our growth. Because that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about things that are going to impede the growth in our Christian life. We're talking about things that are going to uh, prevent us from realizing that victory that we can have in Christ that is already there. Um, because, you know, we, we, we take a look at scripture and it becomes very clear <clears throat> and, and we just have to be very blunt with this. The reason we sin is our own fault. We can't blame it on anyone else. It's our fault. It's our fault. And I understand the whole concept of the but for, you know, if, if, if but for this didn't happen, then I wouldn't have done this. And I understand that, but we still have choices. We still have choices that are made. <clears throat> and when we think about what God is teaching us here, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 specifically, we realize that the very first one that he wants us to address <clears throat> are these things of entanglements. In verse 4 here, it says, No man that warreth entangle himself, entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now obviously we have that verse up here. And the idea and the concept behind it is, again, not to separate ourselves from this world. And, and, and what I mean by that is go live in a shack in the middle of Montana or the middle of Oklahoma or wherever and never have any contact with anybody and, you know, completely uh, live off the land in isolation and never address anything with anyone ever, never be a witness to anybody because there's a possibility they might influence you in a negative concept or uh, whatever it is. No, that, that, that's, that's not how we live this Christian life. That's simply not how we live. When we talk about how we live in this Christian life, we know that we are to be separate from the world in the form of the way that they think, in the what they do. We are not to be conformed to the world, but we are to be transformed in Christ. So when we conform ourselves to it, then that means that we are, if you will, reducing it down and we're, we're, we're coming into uh, uh, their expectations, what they're wanting and things of that nature. But we don't do that 
from a scriptural basis, we're supposed to conform to the image of Christ. But what we see here is with this life, we realize there are going to be things that are going to entangle us and prevent us from moving forward. Now again, we can't live in isolation. So what we have to do is we have to be careful watching out for snares, watching out for nets, watching out for traps, watching out for something that's going to hinder us. You know, one good principle and doctrine uh, in the military is, is if you can hinder the enemy long enough, they will lose the morale to continue to fight. The longer the thing drags out, the more people don't want to fight anymore. It's just the way it works. Now, again, you run the risk of your own troops falling into that, so you have to make sure there's an encouragement and the morale on your side. But you have to find ways to hinder them. World War II, when we were pressing closer and closer to Berlin, the more we would get to Berlin, one of the greatest uh, uh, things that we realized that we had to do as the Allies was we had to capture as many bridges as we possibly could. There's a lot of rivers in Europe. There's a lot of crossings in Europe. And it makes it very difficult for armored vehicles and, and troops to get over those things, especially when they're running fast or they're deep or something of that nature. And it, it is it, it is demoralizing to try to swim across the river to get to the other side. You're exhausted and muddy and everything. So we became uh, experts at quickly laying bridges, constructing bridges, putting them together as fast as we could to get the troops across. But one of the key things that we understand when it comes to what the, the, the Germans were doing as they were retreating, they were blowing up the bridges to hinder our progress to get closer to Berlin. They were trying to slow us down. They were trying to prevent that. And that's still a military doctrine today. If you can slow the enemy down, you are going to be achieving a victory. And when we take a look at this here, we see the same process when it comes to these entanglements. And again, these are common obstacles that we see. Christ says that we can't serve two masters. He made it clear you cannot serve mammon and God. It's just not possible to serve two different masters in your life. Uh, Elijah said the same thing to the nation of Israel. He said, you have to choose whether you're going to serve God or whether you're going to serve Baal, but you can't sit in the middle there and, and try to, you know, play both sides. It doesn't work that way. You, you know, again, we see in scripture where, where the Lord makes it clear that we have to make a decision as Paul talks about, about whom we're going to serve. We're either going to yield ourselves to the submission of the spirit, you know, to submitting to the spirit, or we're going to yield ourselves to the things of the flesh. And then we're going to be servants of sin and continue in that direction rather than servants of Christ. Because again, whoever we yield ourselves to is going to be who we serve. So as we look at this verse in verse 4 where he's talking about this soldier and talking about the entanglements. A, a, a perfect example is that right in the middle of a firefight, as things are going down, and the soldier's got his head down and, and he's taking fire and the other ones are providing cover fire and, and uh, all sorts of mortar rounds and, you know, ro- ro- rocket propelled grenades and everything's going off and, and, and exploding around them and things like that. And all of a sudden his cell phone rings. He looks down at the cell phone and it's his wife. He answers the phone call. Yeah. And of course in the background you hear, ah! You know, all that stuff going on, right? <clears throat> and, and, and he's like, yes. And she's go, she, she sits there and says, well, you know, um, I'm not sure whether or not I should paint the living room a new color or not. What do you think? It's like, we, we really have to have this conversation right now. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's just not something that is of a concern at that point. This is a battle. Now, I'll tell you this, as, as, as light of an illustration as that may be, often that is the case of what we find with this life. 
We are going to get entangled in things of this world if we are not careful about where we step and where we're going and how we're moving through things. War demands, demands a wholehearted commitment to it. You can't just enter into a conflict just, you know, lackadaisically and just go, well, uh, you know, I guess, you know, it's, I guess we should do a war and yeah, we kind of don't like those guys and they don't like us and yeah, they've been jerks to us. Eh, I don't know. Maybe we should, you know, do something and you no, know, you commit your resources to it. You commit resources to it. So here in this life, what we have to begin to do is commit resources to this conflict wholeheartedly. And we know that that's exactly what Christ wants of us. When he was asked what the greatest commandment was, it was love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And obviously the second is like unto it. But the very first commandment that we see, the one that, that, that Christ pointed out was the, the one that we really needed to focus on was loving God wholeheartedly with all, not part, but all. And the same thing is true when we get into this conflict. <clears throat> There's a military doctrine um, and it still goes around today, back in, back, way, 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 way back when. They used to call them, uh, they had uh, these detachments of, of individuals, they would call them skirmishers. And the purpose behind these skirmishers is that they were sent out to go just create problems. Just, just make the enemy's life miserable. Not to win a battle, not to take land. Not to go around and, if you will, uh, uh, conquer certain things or defeat an enemy. No, their whole their whole thing was to just go around and just make their life generally miserable. And why was that? To distract them from the real fight. If you've got an army and it's focused on fighting the other army, but all along the round the sides of it, you've got these skirmishers that are coming along and just harassing your edges. You have to fortify those edges because you're not sure if those skirmishers are actually the real battle. And you get all of these conflicts and you're trying to, you know, cover that here and, and, and they'll come in and they'll come in and harass. And again, it's still a, ta- a tactic and a doctrine today, especially with larger forces. You know, to a degree, sometimes we call that guerrilla warfare or insurgency or something of that nature, where we're trying to distract the enemy from the main purpose of why they're there. It's demoralizing. Take a look here at 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to find that he, he points out a couple of things in this chapter that would be considered these entanglements, these skirmishes, if you will, that we see... <clears throat> And he says here in verse 14, he says, Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of hearers. I want you to see the second part of that verse. He says here very clearly that they strive not about words to no profit. People will argue over the silliest things. They will argue over some of the silliest things. And, 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 and let's just be real about it. Sometimes Christians argue about things that are just really super petty. And we really have to stop that. We're not supposed to strive about those things. And, and, and he says here, words of no profit. There's no value in it. There's no, the, the, you're not going to get a victory. You know, sometimes people think that they get a victory when they win a debate. They win an argument. It's not a victory. That's a, you know, and we live in this day and age where, 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 you know, there's so many things that are out there about, uh, you know, whether it's left or whether it's right or whoever it may be that goes out there and see, oh, look at how this person just said one word and just owned this other person or just, you know, uh, basically slammed them or, you know, burned them or whatever, you know, phrase they want to use today to describe what they did to them to, to shut them down. 
Okay, great. They, they, they got the person to, to not argue. They got a person to walk away from the argument. And, we're, and somehow, some way, people declare that, oh, victory, look at, look at, we won something. You didn't win anything. You don't get a trophy. You don't get anything for that. What do you, I mean, seriously, what is that? Other than, if you will, giving accolades to your own ego, to your own pride. That's all it is. I, I, I guarantee you, <clears throat> you will view your conversation in this life that whenever you have arguments, if you begin to look at it as, okay, what is the, what is the purpose of the argument and what do I get if I win? And if it's anything for ourselves, then we re- don't realize the purpose behind why we're doing what we're doing. Because remember, this battle isn't about us. It isn't about our fight. This is God's fight. He's the one that gets the glory. The conflicts and the battles that we go through are for him. And we see this here. He's saying, look, why are they going about striving uh, uh, about words to no profit? And what does it do? But subvert hearers. Subvert hearers. Subterfuge is, is a very, very valid military doctrine. If you can somehow get into uh, the enemy's camp and get them thinking something totally different, and, and I'm not talking about going about the purpose of, of uh, if you will, uh, sabotage, blowing things up, or espionage, but subterfuge is where you go in and psychologically you get the enemy to think that they don't want to fight anymore because it's not worth it. And I tell you, our enemies, the enemies of God, will come in and get you to think it's not worth fighting for in this Christian life. It's not worth fighting for. This is a hindrance that we run into. Take a look at verse 16 of the same chapter. Another one, he says, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase more and more in ungodliness. One thing that he winds up saying here is is watching what we talk about. He says here, we're supposed to shun profane and vain babblings. Let's let's be honest. Christians are really good about shunning. (sighs) And honestly, we need to stop shunning that way. And we need to start shunning profane and vain babblings. Profane and vain babblings. Profane means that it is against God. Profane means that it is against glory and honor and godliness. And vain means it's just absolutely just somebody flapping their gums and uh, letting out a bunch of hot air that has no validity to anything at this, at this point in time. The book of Ecclesiastes shows what that is. Anything done without God is vain. And sometimes people will go on about these vain things. They will talk about profane things. And what does he call them? He says they're babbling. Babbling. Well, what's the root word of the word babble? Where does that go back to? Well, the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel. Isn't it interesting how God is even found in the English language? How the things that we see throughout Scripture are somehow connected to the words that we even speak on a normal day-to-day basis? Babel and babblings is it going back to what occurred at the Tower of Babel over there in Genesis when they decided to, to make a name for themselves and decided to build a tower unto heaven. If you will, the first element of humanism. It's all about the human. It's all about making a name for ourselves. It's all about what we accomplish. And what we find out is that God sent and confused their languages so that now they couldn't even understand what each other says. Somebody was to come up here and begin speaking in a dialect or a language that you were not familiar with. 
Look, I could just, if all of a sudden here I started talking legalese, some of you would just go, just roll over and close the eyes and just go to sleep. If if somebody was to come up here and and start talking in in a language that nobody speaks, such as Mandarin or Cantonese, Thai, any of the languages of the Middle East, most of us wouldn't understand. It would just seem like babbling to us. Confusion. A bunch of noise. A bunch of noise. If you sit and think about how you listen to other languages that you do not understand, it sounds like noises. You know that the somehow, somewhere, there's words in there, but it just sounds like noise. It just sounds like noise. And what God is telling us to do is he's talking about these entanglements. He says, number one, what we have to do is make sure uh, that we're not talking about words to no profit, that subvert. But we also have to be careful that we're not engaging in these discussions, these babblings that have nothing to do with anything and are actually profane in that they're not portraying the holiness of God and they're not portraying what his glory is. He says, this is what we should shun. That comes up, that thought enters into our head. The very first thing we need to do is we need to shun it. Nope, not talking to you today. But, but, nope, not listening to you. But really, I have something important. Nope, 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 not going to listen. Because that's often how we get entangled. That's how often we get into these hindrances. Go down here a little bit further into the same chapter in verse 17. It says, and their word will eat as does a canker of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have, who concerning the truth have erred, saying the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. Well, these two guys were making up some strange doctrines. They were talking about things that were profane. There were vain babblings. They're basically making no effect of the, the, the work of Christ on the cross. These guys were coming up with things that were contrary to what Paul was teaching, what Christ was, had, had taught, all of these things. And what does it do? It eats as a canker. A canker. It's a sore. It's irritating. It itches. It burns. It's uncomfortable. You can't get relief from it. And the same thing we see in our Christian life, those entanglements, those things that are brought up here as he talks about increasing ungodliness, he says these individuals, they've erred in what they have decided and they're erred in their judgment, they've erred in their doctrine. And what it does is it causes an overthrow of faith. I will say one of the greatest hindrances that you will ever experience in your Christian life is a false doctrine that will come in and move you away from obeying and believing God's word. That is one hindrance that will happen in your life. That is one hindrance that will cause you to fall away from Jesus Christ. It will cause you to become entangled in that. Take a look at another one down there in verse 23. Obviously, he addresses sin in verse 22 where he says, Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call out of the Lord of a pure heart. But uh, foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do generate strifes. Foolish and unlearned questions. If you've ever had to debate anybody or you've ever had to argue something in in the form of whether it's legal or whether it's a, a debate class or whatever it may be, you know that there are tactics of the, the, uh, of those that are debating that will try to get you to move away from the main point 
focus on a sub point and maybe you might win a little victory with that sub point, but you lose the main battle. And what we see here is a similar tactic where he's saying foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they gender strifes. I seriously, there is some messed up thinking in churches today. There's messed up thinking in churches today. You take, uh, you know, some of the stuff that I've heard when I was younger. When you come to church, you better be wearing a suit and a tie because if you're not wearing a suit and a tie, then you're not going to get anything from God. Who said that? And can you find it in the Bible? No. No. Wednesday nights, I've been known not to wear a tie. <gasps> the shock. The shock. I was complimenting Silas's shirt. I see Eli's got a gr- another great shirt. You know? I can go around and start preaching that you're not going to get anything from God unless you're wearing a bright Hawaiian shirt. Got two godly men right here. <laughs> Again, it has no v- validity. I've heard everything from, from, you know, again, going back a ways to the whole wire rim glasses. That every man has to have a crew cut that looks like they just came out of the Marine Corps. I mean, things of that nature. And I look at that and I say very clearly, those are foolish and unlearned questions. Because they have nothing to do with God and they have nothing to do with wisdom from Scripture. What, what what God concerns himself with is the condition of the heart. Is the heart willing to listen? And we get so entangled with all of these, if you will, traditions of man that wrap up around us and, 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 and do things to pull us away, to slow us down in our progressions toward, towards growth and, and, and being in Christ. It's foolish. It's unlearned. You know, on, uh, on our, uh, our Friday night fellowships that we have with the teens, um, <clears throat> you know, we, we will commonly do a question and answer. And the teens, teens will ask me questions. What about this? What about that? We kind of do our men's Bible, Bible study that way as well. Uh, it's like, well, I got this question. And, and sometimes those, those questions lead to some great answers. The, the other day, um, we were, uh, for our men's Bible study, uh, Bob had a great question about some things about baptism, and I walked through and I showed him, well, there's seven baptisms in Scripture. Most people think there's only like one or two. You go through and you see seven of them revealed, and you're like, oh, I have a total misunderstanding of what I think baptism is. There's some baptisms that don't involve water. There's some baptisms that involve water where nobody got wet. <laughs> There's some baptisms that involve fire. You don't want that one. <laughs> you want to steer clear of that one at all cost. <clears throat> I mean, there, there's all sorts of stuff that's out there. Those are not the questions that we're talking about. We're talking about things that, 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 that lack the wisdom, that lack the understanding of God, that, that, that lack the desire to know who God is. Because again, foolishness is, is the behavior of an individual that's a fool, and the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now somebody that asks, and again, if you're asking a Bible question, there is no such thing as a stupid Bible question that you're trying to, to, to do, unless you're coming about with a purpose to deceive, derail, or justify your own sin or do something of that nature. Then you are entering into foolish and unlearned questions. And what does it bring about? It brings about nothing but conflict. It brings about nothing but conflict. Now look, I understand that when truth is presented, sometimes people are going to rebuff the truth. You present something that they you, you happen to... Uh, point out, not on purpose, but you point out somebody's sin in somebody's life, 
And, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit hits, and they have the choice of either uh, resisting the, co- the, the co- uh, conviction or using the conviction to draw near to Christ. So they, they have a choice. Whenever that conviction comes in our heart, we have a choice to do something. And, and again, when that conviction comes, some people are going to argue. They're not going to like it. We're not talking about that kind of strife. We're just talking about where people are debating over stuff. Again, the, the old common, uh, you know, things about theologians getting together and talking about whether God can make a bill, uh, make a mountain that not even he himself can do, can lift because if he can do everything, then he can do both at the same time. And it's like, why are you even asking a non-logical question? It's not even a question that even needs to be answered. How many angels can sit on the head of a pin? Honestly, when somebody asked me that question one time, I was like, who cares? I don't worship angels anyways. And any angel that accepts worship is not from God. Go through scripture and when they started, you know, they would bow down and start worshiping an angel. And you could always tell when it was, when it was God and when it was an angel. Because if they started worshiping the angel and the angel said, get up. Refuse the worship. That's a good, that, that's a good angel. But if you see something like over there in Joshua, where Joshua shows up and he sees this man standing there, and he draws his sword or he says, are you with us or are you against us? He's ready to fight that guy right then and there. And that man said that he was the captain of the Lord's host. And Joshua fell down and worshipped him. And that, that man right there received worship. That was a pre-incarnate of Christ. Because that's one of his names. And we see something of that nature. But some people will sit there and they'll argue about these things. And so many times it will often be this. It will often go to, and I'm using this as an example, to the things of the spiritual world. And people have this desire to know what's going on in the spiritual world. And I will tell you this, and I will stick with this till the day I die. There is a veil there for the reason, and I don't want to see what's on the other side. Because I'm pretty sure that I would be scared to death. I don't even want to venture that. I don't want to go, I don't want to go that way. I don't want to mess around with it. I don't want to even, you know, there's certain things that I don't even want to think about in that regards. Cause it's a lot of speculation. So people start teaching on angels and they start coming up with all sorts of weird things that they're talking about. Angels do this and angels do that and devils do this and devils do that. And they start talking about the hierarchy of devils and the hierarchy of angels and all these things. Walk away. Walk away. And people will sit there and argue and debate about stuff like that. You know what? The Lord will give us what we need to know about an angel or about a devil from the Word of God. If there's anything else and you're talking about who's in charge and who's the second in command and who's the third in command and who's leading what army and so on and so forth, if it's not in Scripture, it's not there. It's limited. Yes, he does identify some. Yes, he does identify others. Yes, he talks about certain things in the book of Revelation and various other places over there in Daniel and so on and so forth. I get that. But I'm not going that direction. Why? Because it's going to gender strife. It's going to gender strife. How about we just talk about what God said? And steer clear of what man says. Because that will get us in trouble every single time. Every single time. The second thing I want to point out here is that when it comes to these impediments to growth and impediments to victory, these hindrances... Not only is there entanglement, but there is also the defeated mentality. Now these aren't, this isn't comprehensive in any way, shape, or form, but I'll tell you these are some of the most common that I see and the most common that, 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 that preachers and pastors and counselors around the country run into. Around the world. Turn over the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6 has got a lot of great material talking about, you know, 
In verse 1, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. By the way, that's a commandment. It's a law. You obey the law. You don't violate that law. Brother or sister in Christ has had an issue. They've got a fault. You don't go sit there and point it out and mock them and and throw them under the bus and say you're never going to forgive them and never do anything of that nature. That is an ungodly, anti-Christ, devilish behavior that we should need to eliminate from our thought process at every single turn. You know what we need to do? We need to love them. We need to forgive them. We need to come along. We need to restore that relationship. Well, they're the one that fragged it. I don't care. I don't care. God doesn't care. This is a commandment. What does he say? Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Now, they may not want it. That's not your responsibility. You do what you try to do. They don't want to have anything to do with you, then that's fine. Accept it and move on. Accept it and move on. But pray for them. And if they come and they ask for forgiveness 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 years later... You be exactly what God tells you to be, kind-hearted, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Even as Christ, even as God for Christ's sake forgave us. Ephesians chapter 4. But here in this uh, other, you know, in this chapter we've got other things that are here that are, 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 are great. Talks about reaping and sowing in verse 7 and verse 8. But I want us to look down here at verse 9. He says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. If we faint not. Tell you one of the greatest hindrances in this Christian fight, in this Christian battle, the war within is growing tired. How many of you this morning you woke up and you were tired? (laughs) How many of you woke up and you asked yourself, did I even sleep last night? Because I don't feel like I ever slept at all. And I'll tell you, a lot of times we have issues with that. A lot of times we have problems sleeping and so on and so forth. And I get that and I understand that. And some people have to have CPAP machines because they've got, you know, physical issues and some people have other problems and things like that. I totally understand that. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about spiritual tiredness and weariness. Spiritual tiredness and weariness. And what he says here is we shall reap. Now look, That verse 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. We often use that when we talk about sin. You sow sin, you're going to reap sin. But let's talk about this. You reap righteousness, you're going to reap the things of God. That's very clear. You're going to reap the things of God. You're not going to reap anything that, that, that is planted otherwise. Now I understand Job reaped some weeds that he did not plant that were sown there. By the devil himself, for the purpose of trying to destroy God. Using Job to do it. And I get that. I understand that. So those are weeds that sprouted up. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about what we purpose and what we do. And here he says, if we are not weary in our well-doing. And sometimes it gets to the point of where we just get tired of just you know, giving. Sometimes we get tired of just showing up. Some people get tired of showing up on Sunday. Some people get tired of showing up on Wednesday. Some people get tired of praying. Some people get tired of reading their Bible. I tell you, if you get tired of any of those things, you need to check really quickly and find out what the condition of your heart is. You need to start going through a checklist and saying, why am I tired? What is slowing me down? Why? Wh- wh- where am I expending my energy that I don't have any energy to do what God's told me to do? And what we find is we'll find a whole list of things. We'll find a whole list of things. But I'll tell you this, often is the case, we grow tired of battle. I mentioned this. People grow tired of war. And of World War II, man, people were tired of it. They just fought World War I, and then in short order, they're fighting World War II. And then what happens right after that? You got the Korean War. And then you start having the Vietnam conflict show up. 
And what do we find during that period of time in the 60s and 70s? People are protesting. They're saying, I'm tired of war. Well, I'll tell you this. A soldier grows tired of war. And you know what? We often grow tired of fighting the same battle on the same hill that we just thought we had taken two weeks ago. And you're like, wait a second. I swore I just fought that giant the other day. How could... How did he come back? (laughs) Well, he wasn't dead the first time. But what generally happens is we grow tired of the conflict. We grow weary. And one of the main reasons that we grow weary and we grow tired is because we, we lack motivation. And we ask the question... Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? I had a review one time from a general manager. And she said, Ken, you're doing a great job. Everything you're doing is great. Just, I can't, can't commend you more than, than what you're doing. She said, but there's one thing that I've noticed that might be a personal flaw with you. And I'm like, okay. She said, you don't like to do what you don't like to do. You just described 100% of the people. What are you talking about a personal flaw? That's human life. <laughs> She's like, I'll, I'll tell you to do something, and, and if you don't want to do it, you won't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with that. If I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. She's like, but, it, but it's something that, that, that you need to do. And I'm like, great. I remember this at one point in time, I was, I sat there and somebody said, we need this report. And I would spend every Friday before I would uh, go home working on this report. And I would work and spend two, three hours creating this report. And I would go through the process and I'm digging and I'm looking and I'm putting things in a spreadsheet and getting all this done, coming up with these calculations, putting it in this massive spreadsheet and delivering it to, 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 I don't know how many people were on the distribution list. And I keep doing that every week, every week, every week. Nobody ever comments about it. And it was important stuff that would pertain to how people are requesting things later on. I'm putting this the report together, and it just seems like nobody was listening. And the final straw came with the person that asked for the report. She asked very specifically, she said, hey, what's wrong with this report? It's not put together right. I'm like, what do you mean? She said, all these things, those were, that was last year. And I'm like, are you looking at the right tab on the spreadsheet? She wasn't even looking at the right tab on the spreadsheet. She didn't even care to open it up and look and see that there was 17 tabs down at the bottom. She wasn't even looking at the right date. Do you know what that tells me? That for over a year, she hadn't even been looking at that report. So Friday came the next week. I got a little rebellious. I didn't do the report. Nobody said anything. Two weeks go by. No report. Nobody said anything. I'd grown tired. A month goes by. Nobody said anything. Guess what happened to that report? Wastebasket. And I asked myself, why am I doing this? So many times, you know what's going to happen is we're going to run into a conflict in our life and we're going to ask that question, why am I doing this? We might start growing weary. We might see that we've maybe got some lack of motivation in and follow through. With the things of God. We sit down, we read our Bible, and we ask, why am I doing this? We go to church and we say, why am I doing this? We, we pray and we ask, why am I doing this? And it's often because we don't understand what the goal is. The end goal of everything that we say and do is to give glory and honor and praise to our Lord Jesus Christ to lift his name up, to bring pleasure to him, to fight the battle that he wants us to fight for his glory. That's it. 
And somewhere along the way, during that course of, of, of fighting the battle, we stopped remembering why we're doing it. Why we're doing it. Here he says in verse 2 of Galatians chapter 6, fulfill the law of Christ. It's for him. Bible says that we're supposed to do everything that we do for, as unto him. That's, what, that's how we live our day-to-day life. That's how we, we, we go about doing these things. Turn back over to 2 Timothy chapter 2 again. Second <clears throat> Timothy chapter 2. And in verse 3, the verse that preceded that, that one that we just read about being entangled, he says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Battle and conflict is not pretty. Nobody likes it. If somebody likes conflict and death and killing, there's a problem with their thinking, and more than likely, they have abandoned wisdom, and they have gone after the foolish woman, and they love death. That's what the book of Proverbs teaches us. Somebody has a fixation on death, it's generally because they do not have the wisdom that comes from God. You want to know what the common thread between all these people that are mass murderers? What the common thread is between these people that perform terrorist attacks? What the common thread is between every mass shooter that has ever been in the United States of America? They're nihilists. They don't believe in God, and they have no morals. Every last one of them. So you know what? You want to stop shootings? You want to stop stuff like that? Get God back in the picture. Get God back in the picture. That becomes one of the most important things. But right there, he says, endure hardness. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. But I will tell you this. The way of the transgressor is harder. When he talks about his burden, Christ's burden, he says it's easy and light. But the way of the transgressor is hard. It's difficult. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be something that that we're going to have to, if you will, uh, uh, it's not going to be a cakewalk. It's not going to be a picnic. We're going to have to go through some stuff that's going to be unpleasant. But if the sole purpose is, is bringing God glory and seeing that victory that he brings in our life, then it's worth it. Because that's what a good soldier does. Soldiers go through tough times. You ever eat an MRE? They don't taste that great. I told you this before. I sat down. I had three MREs one time. One was a, a the bean burrito. One was the chili mac and cheese, and then um, I think one was the chicken enchilada. And I thought, oh, these are going to be great. I had the chicken enchilada because that sounded the best. I'm like, oh, that wasn't too bad. I had the chili mac. That tastes a lot like the chicken enchilada. <laughs> I have that bean burrito, and I'm like, they're just putting the same thing in there and just labeling it different. Same t- consistency, same texture, same everything. It just tastes the same. And I'm like, well, that's just lovely. They're not really doing that, I know. But you're like, well, hey, you may think that that's not hardness. But sometimes they don't eat at all. Sometimes they don't have time to eat. And they have to go 24, 48 hours without sleep. They've got to go uh, 24, 48 hours without food. You know, they've got to try to do stuff. They're enduring hardness. They're getting shot at. They're going through mud and muck and everything else that's out there. And they're going through some tough, tough, tough stuff. But don't grow weary. Keep your eye fixed on the victory that God brings. I want you to turn to one other passage and let's go over to uh, Second, uh, Second Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to complete this thought before we close. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want you to see exactly what he says here. 
In verse 16, for which cause we faint not, that's the cause of Christ, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And I'll tell you this, every single day when you wake up, you got to renew that purpose. you got to renew what your goal is. you got to renew that desire to bring God glory, honor, and praise. We forget to do that, pretty soon we're going to be asking our question, why am I doing this? And we're going to enter into that, that, that defeated mindset. We're going to enter into the part where we faint. We're going to fall away and become a casualty. Our growth will be hindered. Our growth will be hindered. Next week we'll pick up with a couple more of these and look at a, a probably one of the greatest ones that's out there that, that can really truly hinder a Christian. And I'll give you a preview. It's fear. Fear is one of the greatest hindrances that we have in this Christian life. And it will keep us from serving Christ. It will keep us out of the battle. And it will become, we will become a casualty and fall to the enemy. Fear. We'll talk about that, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again for all that you've given to us. Thank you for this time and opportunity, Lord, to understand a little bit more about this fight and this battle that we go through. I pray, Lord, that we would just have a desire this morning, Lord, to, uh, number one, not be entangled with the affairs of this life, as you so aptly pointed out, the things that ensnare us and trap us, but, Lord, also to make sure that we're not falling weary, that, Lord, our strength, our courage, our mind all comes from you, that, Lord, we'd be renewed day by day, even though our bodies fail around us. Lord, I pray that our that inward man would constantly be renewed as we draw nearer and nearer to you. Pray, Lord, you continue to meet with us for the 11 o'clock hour. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.